father, Tom Lynch, has been active in the pro-life movement for over 40 years, which includes being arrested during multiple pro-life displays. Today, we talked to him about how churches can be active in the movement year-round, not just during particular seasons, and he also shares with us some of the arrest stories. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show, and with me is my good friend, wonderful co-host. Yeah, thanks, Peter. We've had the opportunity to speak with Father Frank Pavone, the um, Executive Director President of Priest for Life in the States and globally, an incredible pro-life ambassador. And today we got a pretty cool opportunity to talk to Father Tom, and I know that you're going to introduce him But I like this topic in particular because I know there's a ton of people who are listening to the program who are connected with various Lenten missions, whether through their their church, whether through 40 Days for Life, whether it's um, filling baby bottles with spare change, whether it's praying outside of abortion facilities. And Lent, the the 40 days arguably leading up to Easter um, that many Catholics, and I know many more, um, observe as some kind of a preparation for the Easter um, season. Many people look at this as a good opportunity to integrate pro-life prayer and, and almsgiving and service even into their daily lives. And yet today is all about how we go beyond 40 days for life how we not only integrate this into our Lenten season, but also into the whole year round. Because for a lot of people, um, this is kind of like New Year's resolutions, where you do it for a little bit, and then you completely forget about it for the rest of the year. Uh, We want to help people be active year round in various ways. And so I'm really excited to be able to talk to, um, to Father Tom Lynch, a good friend of much of the pro-life movement. I've heard a million great things from him about him from a good friend of mine, Tim Scatliff, that we've had on as Humans of the Pro-Life Movement guest um, out of Winnipeg. And so shout out to you, um, Tim, for putting Father Tom in my ear as a, a great guest candidate um, from you sharing about him. But yeah, Peter, tell us a little bit about Father Tom and we'll dive into the episode. Absolutely. He is the president of Priests for Life Canada and has been directly involved in advocating for the rights of the weak and defenseless for the last several decades. He's a popular advocate, lecturer, and teacher in the area of family and life. He has been an ethics consultant with the Archdiocese of Toronto, Ontario Catholic Conference of Bishops, and the Canadian Catholic Conference of Bishops, is a lecturer in moral theology and teaches bioethics, sexuality, and sexual issues social justice and marriage and in just a few moments he's going to give a solid resume some uh, synopsis uh, as we talk to him so here's our conversation with father tom lynch father tom lynch thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today you're quite welcome guys yeah, so to kick things off, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you. You're the president of Priests for Life Canada. So could you tell us a little bit about what you do in that role, but also how you got into that role, how you became passionate for preborn children? I started in the pro-life movement when I was not quite 15, uh, 49 years ago last month. Um, I was at the founding meeting of the Coalition for the Protection of Human Life. And at that meeting, uh, it was pointed out there were a number of young people uh, and we weren't being taken seriously at all. So Paul Broughton, who now runs Lifecycle Books and has for many decades, uh, decided to get a number of us together. And uh, at that time, pretty well everybody at that meeting had already been running groups. We started my first group when I was in grade nine. And um, 
So we went from there to uh, start the Canadian Youth Pro-Life Organization. I guess I've been on the board or founded probably close to 25 different organizations, both nationally and internationally, and haven't really got off of uh, the work uh, in all that time. Uh, both uh, Alliance, as it was reformed, Coalition, Campaign Life, Coalition for the Protection of Human Life, etc. cetera. Uh, the international, I was international youth pro-life organizer for about seven years. I was a lobbyist for a year before I went into the seminary. Um, and then uh, various other things that I've done in between. So uh, at the time I got ordained, I was made our pro-life liaison for the diocese, helped to set it up in about 30 to 40 other dioceses across the country. My first several years in the priesthood, started a bioethics center and a pro-life center here in the diocese, uh, got heavily into bioethics and uh, served on the bishops Com- the Canadian Bishops Commission on Bioethics and its effect on the family in the 1980s. How is that for dating oneself? for about five years and from there transitioned to be an advisor really since that time till now for the Vatican under various departments, etc. cetera. Uh, what got ordained in 84, became a prison chaplain at a maximum security prison for a few years, uh, was sent away to get my doctorate in bioethics, moral theology and bioethics, uh, taught at St. Augustine Seminary. And um, I was an early joiner and board member of Priest for Life Canada, then because of having to go overseas, I stepped off and um, I became the head of Priest for Life Canada in a weird way. I got a phone call from Jim Whalen, who was the first uh, president and then continuing president. And he said, Tom, it's time to get back on the horse. <clears throat> I need a new chair and you should get back on the board and be the chair. I said, OK, I can. And he said, besides, somebody's going to have to take over after me. You know, when I'm gone, I said, oh, Jim, you know, you won't be gone, all that kind of stuff. So I agreed to sit uh, to be on the board. Three weeks later, he dropped dead while doing a pro-life mission. So I prayed about it, talked with a few people. And then it wasn't a surprise, I guess, when the board asked me to take over as president. And I have been ever since. But I sit on a few other committees, hospital boards. I've sat on I don't know how many different hospital boards and ethics committees, etc., so uh, fairly busy uh, as it goes. And currently, I'm still a uh, visiting or adjunct lecturer at St. Augustine Seminary. I'm, I guess you would say, an operating bioethicist slash consultant to then and uh, a few other jobs. Too, too many to mention. I'm rector of the cathedral in Peterborough right now. So it has been a dominant theme in, my, in most of my life on just about every aspect. Got arrested Wilder. a few times, but that's a few years ago. Both when I was a layman and then when I was a priest. When my when I got ordained, I was arrested only five weeks after I got ordained. And my poor father, God rest him, he said, oh, I thought we were finished with all that stuff when you got ordained. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I said, oh, no, not now. I said, now you're going to be more effective. <laughs> anyway, so it's been a while. Wowzers. Father Lynch, this this is incredible. I, I feel like we could spend the entire episode just unpacking this. We do want to do more historical episodes on the growth and sure. history of Canada's pro-life movement. But for today, before we dive into the content of how we build 40 Days for Life into 365 Days for Life, the work that you're doing at um, Priest for Life Canada, that kind of thing, I, I'd love to just ask one one kind of personal question based off that entire resume. Sure. So you... You have a million things on the go. Like you said, you're the rector of the cathedral in Peterborough. You are sitting on these different boards and committees and lecturing at the seminary. 
I'm sure that there are times and temptations where you look at all the things on your plate and you say, you know what, maybe maybe I can take a break from pro-life ministry. Maybe, maybe I need to put this on the back burner just for a little bit. And yet, as you've explained, this has been at the forefront of your mission, at the forefront of your mind for the last 50 years, as, as you said, almost. And, and that's yes. amazing. And I, I wonder, how do you, how do you continue to keep this such a high priority when so many other pastors and priests who have a very deep heart for preborn children who want to do this, it, it just somehow trickles to the back burner time and again for them. How have you been able to keep this at the forefront of your ministry? I think we have to be really aware what it means to be involved in culture wars. Uh, we're yeah. not involved in just actions, and we're not involved in this program or that program. We're involved in a very fundamental, different project and mission, and that is to rebuild an entire culture of life and love. I remember hearing that uh, many decades ago and not really being able to unpack it, to be perfectly frank. But when I looked around at the collapse of culture, I so there were some times when I really wasn't sure what we should do. But uh, by an odd coincidence, I was asked to sit on the committee for the first family day in Rome, <clears throat> the Worldwide Family Day. And I really thought this is going to be crazy. But then they've got some amazing lay organizations. And so I was only about, oh, maybe... 20 feet away from the Holy Father at that time, John Paul II, up on the piazza and overlooking St. Peter's Square and seeing thousands of families and the balloons and communion and liberation and focolari organized it. It was fantastic. They do a great job. And um, I remember the Holy Father took his notes like this. And of course, you, you probably don't remember, but John Paul II never used a lectern. He always held his notes. You know, and he would throw his notes off like this. There was a little Vietnamese bishop who had been kicked out of Vietnam, and his whole job was grabbing those notes for posterity. Because <laughs> John Paul never, never looked at it when he went like this. But he put his notes down, and he looked out over the crowd, and he said, "He said, for all of you people who, who go like the prophet Jeremiah, lo, how has Jerusalem fallen?" He said, "Look around, and say to yourself, what great building material." And I've always remembered that. And so when you look out, you have to look out and, and see that there's building that has to be done for the sake of the culture. And it's going to be a building that we can see some ways and some ways we can. And and like when they were building up the walls of Jerusalem, you know, they, they uh, in Nehemiah, they said they built up the walls of Jerusalem with a sword in one hand and a trowel in another. So I think that we have to see our work as priests. We have to see our, see our work as believers as as certainly being pro-life, but to be pro-life is to build up an entire culture of life and love. And if you look at that, then you see a lot more of the positives as well as the negatives there too. But you got to have the sword, you know, as well as the trowel. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And um, I want to, I'm very curious about the arrests and I'm going to loop back to that at the end of the episode. Um, just to get- High school students are usually very, very intrigued about the arrests when I, I casually toss that into a conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I know our listeners are as well because a lot of our listeners are younger activists. They're in the movement. Um, they've never been arrested. I mean, they've had some harassment from police and campus authorities. Well, you know- uh, we we love to hear we love to hear the stories of those who have gone um, and done activism before we were to hear um, yeah just how things were and what we can learn from that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna loop back to that towards the end. But looking at um, so 40 days for life and Lent, a lot of people during this Lenten season give up um, various and sundry items like ice cream or using Facebook and social media and all of that. Um, but there are people who like to deepen their Lenten season by integrating a pro-life focus into it as well. 
um, by doing the pro, uh, the 40 days for life, by uh, getting involved uh, in defending and protecting these preborn children. So I wonder, um, looking at, I mean, the amount of people uh, that are that, that call themselves pro-life, the amount of people that are passionate in one way or another about abortion, what are some ways that people can integrate this pro-life ministry uh, desire into their Lenten observance? I think they should pay attention to one of the readings on Ash Wednesday, and that is that it's not just a question of what you give up. It's a question of what you do, to paraphrase the prophet Isaiah. So I think they should stop worrying about giving up ice cream and give up complacency. They should give up indifference. They should give up sloth. You know, sooner or later, you've got to get up. You know, you've got to get up and you've got to do something. And I believe that, you know, if we're called to walk with the Lord these 40 days, it's a good idea to get out and walk. It's a good idea to, to actually, you know, pay attention to some of the actual uh, instructions. Look, I only have one vocal cord. 30 years ago, I got struck with a Bell's palsy and I got sick and it screwed up my breathing, my swallowing, my talking. OK, I had to go down to Florida to a voice and speech clinic and it was a rough time. But I was supposed to go over to a gym and I was supposed to walk a lot. So I was driving these long Florida blocks down in Tampa where the speech clinic was. And I went past the guy who was who had a sign and he had well actually two homemade signs walking around one of these long blocks. And I thought, what what is this guy doing with this pro-life sign in the middle of nowhere? Right. It was just a bunch of chain link fences and stuff. So I looped around and came back. At one of the chain link fences, there was an entrance to an abortion clinic, the Four Roses Abortion Clinic, right? And he had to go down this long path, and there was the abortuary down there. And they only had this sort of discreet sign. So we started talking, and I was just dressed in my, you know, gungy gym clothes. And I said to myself, well, what what are you doing, you know, walking around golf courses and the rest of it? And I said to him, look, give me a sign, you know. So we walked around there and he said, I got to go. I've got to I've got to pick at two or three other abortuaries. And I said, you do it by yourself. And I said, I'll take care of this one. So every day I went down and I walked in front of the abortion clinic and I just I, I got better signs. But I walked in front of the abortion clinic. I couldn't talk to anybody anyway. Nobody stopped. But I, and I had to walk. And I said, you know, Lord. This is just what I'm called to do. So I walked back and forth and I got various signs. They weren't all thumbs up. Sometimes they were other fingers and the rest of it. But big deal, you know. But the fact is, gradually, as my voice got back, I was able to bring some other people. It was right on the edge of the University of South Florida. It made people stop when they saw a priest with a collar walking in the middle of nowhere back and forth with a sign. Okay. And I know one or two of the other priests with whom I lived at the time they said to me, well, why are you doing that? And I said, well, why shouldn't I do it? So I say to the people who are wanting to keep a Lent, you should keep a Lent. You should do something. You should remember that these people are still there. The preborn are still there. Those mothers are still there, those post-abortion women. And God knows all the rest of the people on the other end of life who need the work that's being done. So get up and put one foot in front of another. That's what I believe. And I, I'm sorry when people say, oh, I'm so this and I'm so that. I've actually sat down with people and said, okay, how much time do you spend on Facebook, on Instagram, on Pinterest, on you pick the meme, the TikTok? They can all tell you what's on TikTok. And I said, well, I'll bet you, you know, if you added this up, it would add up to about 4.5 hours a day, which is the average. 4.5 hours a day. And I said, why don't you cut it, I don't know, by 25% and go out and actually physically do something. By the way, I'm all for for doing it online too, okay? We live in a, I mean, we're here online and, you know, we live in a virtual community. But I would say, 
get off the other crap on YouTube or do whatever, and then put some sensible comments out there, you know, do, do some supporting of X, Y, and Z. Look, I'm 64. I'm never going to get caught up and be cool when it comes to social media. But that's why, that's why people are given the ages to be that they are. So that's what I would say is to be very clear and say, this is how you should spend your Lent, right? So, you know, what's that old saying, right? You know, I would be holy, truly holy. I would be holy, true. Not only make me good, dear Lord, but good for something, too. You know, and, and I believe that's the point of Lent. It's, it's if you are called to holiness, and we are, if you are called to a penitential discipline, and we are, therefore, it should be good, not just for oneself, but it should be a good that is pressed down in your lap and flowing over into the fullness of what we're called to be for others. Absolutely. I, I love so many of those lines that you use there, Father. And and I, I want to mine even a little bit deeper into a bit of that, because I'm, I'm sure that what's going through the heads of some of the, the church leaders that, that are tuning in right now, part of our audience, they're saying, you know, I would love to do that. I just feel so ill-equipped. I, I just have no idea. The, you just got to walk and hold a sign. Bingo. It doesn't, take much, it doesn't take much training to walk and hold a sign, okay? It takes a steadiness on your feet or on your four wheels if you need a wheelchair or a walker, right? And you need a sign. And if Amen. you can't get one, you can make one if you're literate or somebody else will give you one. So I'm sorry that in terms of feeling equipped or ill-equipped, I find that a total cop-out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can't agree more. And, and Peter, you and I often talk about how if you can hold a sign, you can be a pro-life ambassador. You can save lives. You can change minds. If, like you what's said, if second, you can walk and what's the second? What was the second reading on Ash Wednesday? Do you remember it? Oh, oh. Put me on Paul the to the here. Corinthians. Um, he said, we are, we are to be ambassadors for Christ. Yeah. That was the second reading. So if you want to start off your, your, your Lent, you should pay attention to what what readings are there for Ash Wednesday and go out and be an ambassador. Ambassadors can't just sit at home. We yeah. can't have an ambassador to the Ukraine who's sitting at home. You know, you've got to go out to be an ambassador to speak for, that's what ambassadors are for. They speak for those who cannot speak, who are not there to speak. We've got to speak for the pre-born. We've got to speak for all, all the voiceless whomevers that, that um, are, are put into our lives who need a voice, who need an ambassador. And people forget that. They think, they think that, oh, it's just one of those readings. I'm, I'm just here to get the ashes, <laughs> you know, but, but you're not, you know, you're supposed to go out and do something with it and speak. Uh, so I don't, I don't believe in that. You're not equipped. I'm sorry. I don't believe in that at all. I think, I think we have to be really careful about sloth. Sloth, sloth is absolutely corrosive, eh? And people don't want to think of sloth as a, a capital sin, but it's capitus because it things flow from sloth. And so, you know, be careful of that, eh? Be really careful. And 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 don't don't let yourself off too easily, right? But what are the other excuses? Yeah, well, I, I, I think that, that that idea of unpreparedness, and I think that part of this, and Peter, I know that you'd love to dive in on this question as well, of, of the, the idea of the organic versus institutional church, and, and maybe just speak to the value of pastors, priests, bishops, archbishops being active in the pro-life movement and how that inspires and that builds up um, mobilization within the church, that it's not just the laity that go out on street corners, but also the church leadership as well. And the role that that can play in launching pro-life uh, ministry and outreach within well, a Well, it's not just launching it. I, I would say, Cam, it's sustaining it. 
because yeah. when a priest is is ordained and this it's repeated as a bishop, you are called to teach, to govern, and to sanctify. And the sanctification is incredibly important in terms of the sacraments, in terms of um, the liturgy, etc. But uh, governance is a different matter. Governance is not just sitting with committees, thank God. It's not just it's because if there's one thing I'd like to give up for Lent, it's committees, okay? Especially meetings of committees, Zoom or not. But governance means that you have to lead. And so if you're going to lead, you know, you have to be be honest about how you lead. You you To lead is also to be willing to inspire. And, and people might wonder at that about inspiration, but you have to be willing to inspire people. And that is to help them open their hearts to the action of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can literally inspirate, to breathe in them and to inspire them, right? If you want the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be active, you first have to show they're active as a leader. And being a leader means you got to go and lead your people, right? You, you know, you, you don't you don't have to be you know, Moses, but you, ha- you have to remember Aaron went with Moses, you know what I mean? And so I think that's incredibly important. I've seen bishops that have been willing to go out and do things, and it's it's electric. I've seen priests. I spend a lot more time when I'm out on, on the sidewalks listening to people than, than doing other stuff because I'm listening to them, and they're saying, oh, it's good to see you here, and da-da-da-da-da-da. Or the fact that you'll speak about it at Mass and say, now when you get up from your pews, go out and do something. You know, go out there on, on you know, that day on the street corner or go out for these couple hours in the cold uh, across from the hospital and bring your little ones. And if you don't have little ones, that means you don't have any other excuse not to be there, right? Because maybe you're retired. And if you're retired, you can take the difficult times, you know, and that kind of thing. So... Or people will say to me, well, gee, I got a walker. And I said, well, you've got an automatic chair. <laughs> You're the only one that can bring their own seat. <laughs> you know. So, I mean, I think my mother was almost, was a little over 90 when she died. Um, she had gone to the, she had gone to the March for Life in Ottawa for however many years it was going. And some of those years, she was pretty wobbly on her feet. And she said, sometimes we are called to walk for life. And sometimes we're called to sit for life. So she would sit while everybody else went out and walked. She would sit there on the hill and welcome them back. So I, I think that the truth of it is, is that leaders must have to, must understand something. First, leaders in the church have to not have too an inflated opinion of themselves. Number one, I'm going to tell you something. In most cases, premiers and prime ministers couldn't give a sweet whatever what a bishop says. Okay. I mean, that's the blunt reality. So they shouldn't worry too much about that. They don't like us anyway. They don't like bishops. So if you think they like you, you're not. You, and that's maybe a good thing. When politicians like like you too much, that's a bad sign, number one. Number two, you know, you, they don't, bishops and archbishops, and I've spoken to the bishops and archbishops many times. So what I say to you, I'll say to them right now. Okay. They're very poor politicians. Okay. In terms of secular politicians. So Okay, if you don't want to play that game and you can't play that game, then don't worry about playing the game. And, and you know, if you go out in public doing the right things in the unpopular areas, you know what you'll find is your people will come along with you. Not every, They won't all like you for it, but so what? I mean, I, I look at that and say, I wasn't made a pastor or whatever, whatever, to have everybody like me. And I'm, I'm supposed to do what we're called to do. And so <clears throat> there's another thing. And lastly is, Never ask people to do something you won't do. 
You should never ask people to do something. If you're going to give, if you can ask people for money, you should make sacrificial offerings and give your own money, whatever you got of it, to there. If you're going to ask people to 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 sacrifice time, I don't know a bishop that's not busy. I don't know many pastors that are worth their salt that are not busy. But you're going to have to make the sacrifice of time, okay, and squeeze out other things and whatever, like everybody else, right? I know you're tired. We all get tired. If we get older, we get tired more. But other people are tired too, you know. So you know what? You got to get up. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Rosa Parks. I'm too tired to do whatever. Well, you're too tired not to do it. And lastly, you got to get over fear. You got to get over fear and embarrassment and everything else. I mean, I, I, I don't like holding signs with, with dead babies. I've been doing it for years. I don't like doing it. Okay, I don't. I mean, you know, I wish I didn't have to do it. I wish I could be at home having an adult beverage of choice, whatever, whatever. You know, I don't like standing out in the middle of hot suns or cold days or whatever. I, I don't do it because I like it. I try to make the best of it. And I say that with bishops. You know, every day you should do one thing you're afraid of. And then, you know, you find you have less and less to be afraid of. I don't know if you know you know who uh, Catherine dehuick Doherty was. Yeah, she started Combermere. She started the lay movement and lay and priest movement of uh, Madonna House. Yeah. My mother actually met her on her wedding trip, on the hmm. Baroness's wedding trip in 1945, I think it was. But, and so we, we sort of kept the contact with Madonna House. I read her uh, Dear Father book when I was very, very young as a priest. And in it, she was talking to a priest in downtown Toronto in the rough areas in the 30s. And uh, she said to this, the priest got told he should go out for a walk. And she said, Father, you should go for a walk in these streets. Oh, he said, they're all the communist streets. She said, well, Father, that's why you should walk there. But they'll throw stones, he said. Yes, but they won't be very big stones, she said. (laughs) And they did, and they weren't very big stones, and that was it. And I, I say that to bishops. I say, okay, what are you afraid of? And that's a legitimate question. What are you afraid of? Okay. And and I hope, as believers, we can talk about that. We can recognize fears. We're not supermen. And let's talk about the fears and and go on from there. And and then, you know what? The first times you do it, you find out you're not afraid of too much, really. Like most things in life, most of the things you're afraid of never happen. And, you know, the the devil is the father of lies and of fear. So, you know, you have to call on that gift of the Holy Spirit of fortitude. Yeah, I think this is important, not just for church leaders, but also just for regular people who want to do activism. Cam, I know I had a lot of uh, fears when I started activism. Maybe you did as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's the importance of, of trying to face our fears, but also doing it in community. I mean, the pro-life movement is a massive uh, community. It's, it's a community throughout Canada, throughout the United States and, and many countries throughout the world. That's right. And so uh, getting, getting active in community and facing the, the fears you have in community while you seek to defend preborn children, I think is, is very important. Speaking of, uh, of facing fears, uh, one of the fears that some people have um, when they do various projects is getting arrested, not because they're doing things that are illegal, but because they're doing things against the status quo and what uh, our governments and police officers generally do not like. And so could you dive into your arrest story? You can choose one or, or tell both of them, but maybe set the context. And There were more than twice, you... but anyway. <laughs> okay, more than twice. I thought you said twice. All right, well, just take it away and, and share with us how you got arrested, why you got arrested, and, and maybe... Yeah, some of the implications of that on the pro-life movement around there you. There are two reasons for getting arrested. One is to protest an unjust law, and the other is to realize that law is necessarily a couple things. Law is necessarily minimal, it's negative, and it's punitive, right? You cannot do something. 
But law is never meant to protect evil. Law is meant to be able to somehow safeguard and protect good. And so therefore, if evil is being done, we have a moral responsibility to do whatever we can to prevent uh, that evil from being done, um, either at its time or in the future. So that is a moral responsibility. Laws necessarily are should be naturally based, but are necessarily human and changeable. That's the nature of them. So laws should never come before morality. And we have any amount of historical um, awareness about laws and morality being in conflict. So just the fact that you're breaking a law doesn't mean you're doing something immoral. Sometimes it can be quite the opposite. So when I was um, a later teenager and uh, in my early 20s, uh, there were a number of blockades going on in the United States. It was really easy to go down to the United States. <laughs> Believe it or not, you could go, you could, you, you could go with seat sales and that kind of stuff, or just drive, even in Aero Conquers. So we went down in places like Indianapolis and Toledo and down in Washington. So we were arrested uh, at the huge blockades in front of abortion clinics that were then uh, being held. And because we were foreigners, they didn't really care. There's one big thing where if you get arrested, you've got a couple hundred people that are arrested, they've got nowhere to put you. Like, that's the thing you got to remember. They've just got nowhere to put you. So the, the fact is, uh, police are not very good at the whole nature of civil disobedience. Whether it's right, left, or center, uh, they just can't handle civil disobedience because they expect compliance. And I, I'm not going to be a, in part of the defund police stuff. Most people, you know, in the pro-life movement are astonishingly... Um, respectful of police and they're aware that they're doing their jobs upholding an immoral order so for for those instances it went down and i'm trying to remember whether it was five or six times anyway there was a bunch of times you got dragged up or you didn't really get arrested we, they to arrest you they had to throw you into jail right and do something so a lot of times they just dragged you out of the way and to be honest when you're locked together and no, nobody can find the key <laughs> so to unlock sometimes it was very hard to figure out who actually had the key to unlock because we we'd lock ourselves into quads or fours <laughs> and so one time then I was a priest uh I was it was in front of the the Morgenthaler abortuary and oh it was hot oh my god it was hot it was the end of July and I, there was a couple hundred of us and I kept thinking oh please start on our end because it was so hot anyway I was I was locked in with this woman who was in her late 60s and she was the most elegant woman you ever saw she really was Stella Dawson her dress she wore a hat she she wore lace gloves <laughs> and a handbag <laughs> she was one elegant classy lady let me tell you so by the time they got to us, when they've started at the other end, they were cutting off these chains, right? So they cut, cut two, of, two of them off, and they looked at us, and they said, I'm a fairly small guy. And they looked at us and said, oh, they're both small. Throw them in together. <laughs> so, so anyway, they trucked us over to the paddy wagon, and Stella said, excuse me, dear, to this great, big, hulking, sweaty OPP guy, and said, but my handbag is over there. Would you mind going to get it? And he said, oh. Just a second. So he went over and he came, <laughs> he came back with his handbag. <laughs> and she said, thank you, dear. And he said, you know, it'd be easier if you just got into the paddy wagon. She said, oh, son, I think the whole point is not to do that. <laughs> so they threw us in together. <laughs> and then this elegant lady said, excuse me, father, can you turn your, your back, your, your face? And so she dug around in her bra and got the key and, and locked us. <laughs> so you have to laugh. But the fact is, we shut down the abortuary for a day. I don't know how many people we saved. And I say people, probably some. I hope to God we pray we save some. But the other is, you must act in public. And the the tactics will change. They've got to change. 
you know, I, I mean, I don't have a truck. And that's what I could do at the time, right? So, <clears throat> I mean, and I'm, I am not canonizing any tactics. Some tactics work, some tactics don't. Sometimes they work for this and that. But it's only a jail. <laughs> they'll, they'll get rid of you anyway. Like, I guarantee like, it was a Friday. They had to get rid of us. They, they hadn't ordered, told the drunks in a drunk tank. And you know what? We were stuck in jail and he's dead now. But Father Ted Culleton, who was a tall, thin guy, and he was a hero of mine in, in the movement, he said, well, he said, we have a job to do here, Tommy. And I said, what is it, Ted? And he said, we've got to teach them how to say the rosary and they've got to teach us how to sing. <laughs> Meaning the evangelicals and the Catholics. <laughs> so we did. That was it. And so, you know, you do that a number of times and it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But once again, I've, I've known any number of priests and some bishops uh, that have been arrested. And people will say it causes a scandal. Well, if one may, uh, I think you need to go back to the root of the word scan- scandal, scandalian. It's a rock to trip over. Sometimes it's a good thing that people trip over things in that way, not in other scandals, of course. But they, they have to be made aware that this is so important that I will you know, give up my liberty, even if it's for a brief time. But people like Culleton, Father Giobataglini, Father uh, Bishop Lacey, it was a longer time. My sister is Rosemary Connell. You know, she has 39 grandchildren, something like that. And uh, she spent 40 days in the Toronto West uh, for uh, blockading an abortuary. And when she was up in the in the in the court, I was there. She's she's smaller than me. And the woman that she was with is small. And so this prosecutor, this was going on. But these people, women are terrorists. And the judge said, terrorists. Terrorists, stand up, Mrs. Connell. Stand up. Well, I forgot her last name. Stand up. And they were only about five foot nothing. Terrorists. And uh, how many grandchildren do you have? I have five. How many? Do you? Well, 39, I think. <laughs> Terrorists, grandmothers. And he looked at the woman and he said, he said, you kept these women at government expense for 40 days? What is this? Your idea of Lent? <laughs> and my sister said it was a kind of Lent. She said it wasn't fun. But she said you had to make sure it was Lent and God has you here for a reason. And I, I, I believe that. I think you have to be willing to, to sacrifice those little things like your dignity. You know what? Nothing begins and nothing ends that is not paid with moan, for we begin another's pain and perish in our own. That's what Francis Thompson said. Dignity is going to be gone. People stand on their dignity way too much. I mean, go do what's right and skip your dignity. You know, they don't care. You shouldn't worry about those kinds of things. I, I I realize people do worry about it, you know, but you know what? I haven't found it really affecting my priesthood in a negative way. Other than sometimes bishops don't know what to do with me. <laughs> but uh, but I haven't really found it, no. And once again, I think I say to people that, well, being arrested just shows that you can change laws. It's, 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 it might be legal to kill preborn children, but it's still horribly immoral and evil and it's obviously evil. You're trying to change how people talk about it or not let people know. So you see that you can change a law here, you can change a law there, but God God is the founder of all true law. And so therefore we're called to obey his law first and not the others. And I say to all you activists that I don't necessarily have to agree with every one of your tactics. I don't, okay? And you don't have to agree with mine, but, but it's a war. And so therefore the tactics are going to have a cost. And part of the cost is going to be your dignity, your freedom. Maybe it might be some of your reputation. But you know what? You don't have as great a reputation as you think anyway. 
You really don't. So I think that's, you know, people are very puffed up. They think they've got much more of a, of a, of a great reputation. Ah, really, get over it. So I want to say to them, get over it and do what you should do. Yeah, that's that's huge is get over it and do what you should do. Be involved in the, the, the causes that you should be involved in. Father Lynch, I, I am inspired just by hearing the stories of what you and so many others were willing to do at that time. And I can only imagine the impact that that had on the pro-life community when they see their pastor, a priest in their diocese, uh, willing to make those sacrifices for the defense of freeborn children. Just as we begin to wrap up here, I, I want to kind of change lanes fairly quickly, I suppose. I'd love to talk more about your experience here. But as we look at this Lenten season, we've got these 40 days for life that so many churches have brought on um, pro-life ministry and a focus in. How do we go beyond that? How do we go beyond just 40 days for life and get towards a 365 or close to that days for life? How do we prioritize pro-life ministry, whether as laity, whether as clergy, whether as church leadership, whatever it may be, throughout the rest of the year? What do you guys do at Priest for Life that help people integrate this into their ongoing church life, I suppose? For priests, we try to say to them, <clears throat> what's your role and what's your position? So be able to preach about it, and it's all in its, its variegated fashion. We give them all kinds of ways to do that, literally for every Sunday for three years. Uh, we put in all kinds of prayers uh, of the faithful. We encourage them to use whatever they've got in terms of various media platforms, or even down to just the standard old uh, pamphlets, which, by the way, people read, etc. We encourage them to allow uh, various events to be publicized in person as well. It helps if they publicize it in person, if they allow uh, various activities that are there. Don't knock fundraising because things take money. You know, we live in the midst of a temporal world and therefore it's a good thing to encourage people to actually contribute in very definite and real ways uh, for people doing exactly what you're doing yourself. Equipment costs money, everything else, gas costs money. So you've got to be realistic and pragmatic. Be willing to understand that Lent is supposed to not just stop at Easter. It's supposed to be something that has changed you. So really look deeply to see what kind of change is being called forth in the rest of the year and the rest of those 365. And be willing to pray that you can launch and use the Easter season then to be able to consolidate the gains, shall we say, spiritual gains that you've gotten in that regard to overcome fear and to be more active, to be the person you're called to be in the midst of our world. So I would say that's some very different ways for priests, for laity, um, really ask yourself what you can continue to give up. Look, you did without it for, I don't know, maybe you only made 30 of the 40 days, but you did without it for a while. So you've made space and you've made some space and let that space be filled up with the right things and the good things with the spirit of the Lord rather than the spirit of the world. Just don't go back, you know, you know, don't go back to Egypt. What? I mean, you're going back to Egypt for watermelons. Come on. So, you know, realize that that space then should be filled with the right things, the good things and be able to consolidate ourselves so that we can be active and then be ready for the Pentecost, which is going out to the world and speaking in all those languages. And you've got languages, you know, you've got those skills or languages and in so many different ways, use one, just use one, that's all. And so uh, that's what I would say one should do, yes. Perfect, thank you so much for that, Father Tom Lynch. And uh, and thank you for the work that you do as well, your, your witness, defending and protecting preborn children. As we wrap up, could you share with us where we can learn more about Priests for Life Canada? You can look at priestsforlifecanada.com. Uh, we're always good in terms of having our uh, executive directors um, and our executives. Uh, they're always ready to pick up a phone, etc. We go out, whether virtually or in person, I hope a lot more in person now, <laughs> I'll be tired of just doing it virtually, to try to support whether it's the 40 Days for Life or any other groups. 
uh, any other initiatives uh, educationally or politically. Um, so uh, certainly you may see us around, uh, as I said, face-to-face or in platforms, uh, but certainly online as well. And we're always ready to get new suggestions and ways to be more effective. I think that's the other thing is getting that proper feedback, what works and what doesn't. If it doesn't work, we stop it. If it keeps on working, we go for it. Uh, one of the things we try to do, of course, we work with Catholic clergy. Uh, we work with uh, new priests that are coming and being ordained, new priests that are coming into the country. Uh, we do things in various languages. We have cultural uh, awareness, shall we say, and we try to bring people into the awareness of the battle that's going on right here in the country. So hopefully you'll see us around. And uh, as I said, if we can help out, and I always want to say, I'm very serious that a Priest for Life Canada can, can help in your particular ministry or in the ministry of the people hearing this, then let us know and we'll do our best to try to support you on a regional basis as well. Great. Thank you. And thank you so much, sir, for taking the time and joining us on the podcast today. You're quite welcome. Thank you. That is Father Tom Lynch, president of Priests for Life Canada. Cam, what are some of your thoughts as we wrap this up? I, I just find it so cool. Like he said, the value of church leadership, um, clergy being involved in pro-life outreach and, and needing to lead by example. Uh, I think it's amazing that, that he has had the courage, the conviction and the ability to do so much for the pro-life movement, including get him, getting arrested. I would love to pick his brain even further about his arrest stories, because I think that is so cool and really shows where the pro-life movement needs to go. I mean, he was sharing the story of the the super classy woman that he was chained to, and that this was something not simply reserved for radicals like you and me, Peter, but for everyday um, members of the church organic, um, the, the church universal that people would prioritize this and not just the weirdos like us um, and the weirdos that listen to the podcast, but the wonderful men and women who may be listening to the podcast, but are not yet listening to the podcast. That's what the show is all about, trying to get more and more people involved. Um, I, I don't mean offense to any of you. Apologies if you take offense by me calling you a weirdo. I think that you're wonderful. Um, that was a bit tongue in cheek. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that it it really speaks to the role that he has played in the pro-life movement for so long and the urgency that we have as a movement to draw more and more people into more and more regular outreach. Absolutely. And with that, I was just going to pull up a link to our website so I can actually share it. If you want to get involved, you can go to prolifeguys.com slash, and I'm waiting for my computer to load, contact slash join dash you know what that's that's a long link um we'll put it in the description if you want to get involved with some of the projects that we're doing um if you want to reach out and see you know maybe there's a 40 days for life somewhere close by but you're not aware of it you can reach out to us with those questions as well if you want training of any sorts cam is he's got to be at this point one of the top uh, uh, pro-life apologetics trainers here in canada um so not only do I get blessed uh, listening to his apologetics here on the podcast, but you do as well, and so many others as he visits communities across Canada, um, a lot in Western Canada, but but you do travel, Cam. So um, if you want that sort of training, you can reach out to us as well. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Rumble, a little bit on Rumble. Um, you can also check out our website, prolifeguys.com. There's a contact form there if you want to reach out to us. And you can check out our merch shop to support the podcast, to support the program, and uh, and help us to reach more people, to create better content, and to get that content out to the far reaches of the world. Thank you so much for sharing this with your friends, your family, your loved ones, your colleagues, and your neighbors. And we hope you tune in again next time. Mm-hmm.